Well, from creation, God has a high and honorable calling for women. In fact, if, you, if you've ever paid attention to the creation account, the very last element of his creation was the woman. She is what completed the six days of creation and God's creative events. And she is created like none other. She is not created out of nothing like everything else that God made. He made man out of dust, I guess. But woman was made uniquely in that she was made from the man. And God used materials to make her and craft her. And she is beautiful. And she is lovely. And she is unique in God's creation. And she brought it to completion. I want, you to, I want you to walk with me through some setup here to understand the lofty place that God has established for woman. In Genesis chapter 1, starting in 27, when we see God creating male and female, it says this, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I want you to notice there's instructions here and there's details here, yes, about man, but this morning we are focusing on women as it is Mother's Day. And I want you to focus on three elements to the woman here that we see in this short passage. Number one, I want you to notice the woman's identity. The woman is made in the image of God. Just like the man, yes. But the woman uniquely bears with her husband the image of God. This in and of itself places women In a lofty, lofty place. With her husband, this woman is an image bearer of God, is to represent God to all the earth. And that, ladies, is an immense calling. Immense. Notice secondly, that was her identity. Notice secondly, her calling With her husband, the woman is called to be fruitful and to multiply. This is a command from God. And so in that command, we have the calling for a woman to be a mother. Because that's what happens when she is fruitful and multiplies. And so the first woman we see over in Genesis 3.20, Adam calls her Eve because her title is the mother of all living. Her name means mother, the first woman. So womanhood and motherhood is a high and honorable calling. Notice number three, her purpose. Yes, she is to bear the image of God. Yes, she is to be fruitful and multiply. And here she is with her purpose from God. Her purpose is to multiply so that the earth can be subdued. And mankind can exercise dominion over God's creation. This is a lofty calling that God has given to 
nothing else in his creation. Now you go to the fall. If we advance over to Genesis chapter 3, in the fall when man sinned, we see that God established an even higher calling for a woman. For a mother. Because he, in cursing the serpent, says, I will put enmity, in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. She will have children. And there's going to be war there. And you're going to bruise the heel. And he is going to crush your head. It's an offspring. And so there is a calling from the beginning when God created to be fruitful and multiply and to subdue the earth. And then there's a very unique calling on a woman to bear a son that is going to deal with Satan and sin forever. And so there is a lofty purpose behind womanhood and a lofty and high purpose behind motherhood. And that's what we will look at this morning. Because of this, because motherhood is rooted in creation, I'm going to tell you that we must hold motherhood to a high level of reverence. It's not because President and Congress in the 1914s made a decree. It's not because Hallmark needs to crank profits this week. It's because God rooted it in creation on day six. And he rooted it in the solution to sin in the garden. So I would ask you now, pray with me as we proceed here, because we have some beautiful work to do in God's word as it relates to mothers this morning. Join me in prayer. Father, I pray that as a result of our gathering here this morning, that we would rightly revere womanhood, that we would rightly revere motherhood, and that we would do it honoring you and praising you for this blessed provision that you've given us. Father, there are women here this morning that are struggling to be effective and good and strong mothers. And I pray that they would be encouraged this morning from having heard this message. Father, there are women here this morning that are hurting because they desire To be called mother. And I pray that they would be encouraged. Because they've come this morning to hear from you. In your sacred word. Father I trust you to lead us now. And I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Well motherhood as I've said is is established in creation. And therefore every woman that has ever come forth from a mother has embedded in her a strong, strong desire to be a mother. It is rooted in their hearts. It's from the foundation of creation. I I want you to just think for a moment. Can you imagine Eve when she heard this pledge from God that there was going to be an offspring that was going to destroy and defeat sin and Satan forever? Can you imagine the longing that Eve had for that promise to be fulfilled? And... We don't know, but she perhaps thought that that was going to come from Cain or Abel or Seth. Can you imagine if you go all the way forward thousands of years, not millions of years, thousands of years to this woman named Mary, a virgin, who is conceived, who has conceived 
a baby boy from the Holy Spirit. And she is told by God, this is the one. If you want to know what Mary thought about that, go read Luke chapter 1, 40, 45 or so. It's called Mary's Magnificat. She prays and praises God for being the one that, this, that would bear this offspring that was promised way back in Genesis 3.15. So we have these two great mothers. We have Eve, the mother of all living. We have Mary, who is the mother that brings forth the Christ, who brings salvation to all who would believe in him. And I want you to know that in between there, for centuries upon centuries, we have accounts throughout the Bible of women who longed to be the mother that Mary was or women who longed to be a mother, period. You just, if you just comb through the Old Testament, you will get a massive inventory of women who longed to have children but could not. We, we have Abraham's wife, Sarah, who ached and groaned and longed to have a child of her own, even in her old age, and she was promised and God delayed still. And it says in Genesis 16, 2, that God prevented her from having children. It was God that did it. And we know the rest of the story. He did open her womb at one point. Jacob's wives, if you studied Jacob's wives, and boy, that's a struggle. We're going to look at that issue in a moment because I said wives, plural. Jacob's wives, Leah, and Rachel sinned horribly in their desires to have their wombs open and to bring forth children. Moses' mother wanted so badly to have a son that when she had him, she stuck him in a basket and floated him down the river so that he might survive the decree of Pharaoh to kill all the firstborns, right? So we see this longing embedded in the hearts of women from long ago. And so we see throughout the scriptures over and over again the calling to be mother is huge, and it is highly regarded and highly revered. We know from being sons, from being fathers, we know that the calling to be a mother comes with great hardship and huge responsibility. And this morning, it is my desire, as I prayed, that I would urge all of us to hold mother in a high, God-honoring regard, and I do want to encourage those amongst us who have not yet been given children, that all is well and that we will trust the Lord together as a congregation of people. This is not something you do alone. And I'm going to tip my hand because at some point in this service, I'm going to ask those that cannot yet conceive that you would invite us as a church into your life. I don't want you to live alone like this. And there is too much at stake for us as a church family for you to live in isolation with that issue. And I'm going to ask you to bless us by bringing us into your life on this. And so hold that thought, and I want you to work through some scripture with me. And I want us to see this lofty and high calling. And I want us to understand what it means to wait on the Lord for this blessing of children. And we're going to do that this morning with this beautiful woman named Hannah. I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. God has so blessed us by having this recorded in His Scriptures for us. There is this incredible woman named Hannah who is married to Elkanah. And we get so much strength from her story. And we get so much wisdom from the way she handles her situation. 
And I just want us to unpack this morning her life as it relates to being barren and then coming fruitful one day and actually bearing a son who was used by God in a mighty way. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, I want you to start with me there in verse 1 and let's work our way verse, first of all through verse 6. We're introduced first to a, a man named Elkanah. And Elkanah, starting in verse 2, he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Listen to Elkanah here. We get some information on him. Now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Well, I just want to spotlight here four characters that we're introduced to here in those first six verses. Let's just meet them real quickly and understand who we're dealing with here. First of all, we meet a husband. His name is Elkanah. And we are told that this man has two wives. We're also told in verse 3 that he is highly devoted to the Lord. And year after year after year, he goes to Shiloh to make offering and to worship the Lord. And if you really want to understand behind that year after year journey to Shiloh, he actually did this three times a year because there were three main feasts that people were to go to the, to the ark where the temple, where the, where, where God's temple was set up. And in this era, it was at Shiloh. And so this man faithfully, it would be right to say, three times a year carried his family to Shiloh to make offering to the Lord. He is a very devout, God-fearing man. Yet he has two wives. What do we do with that? that? There's some tension right there. How do you honor the Lord and have two wives? Well, we can explain this very clearly. We don't run from these troubled concepts. We run to them and we say, what's going on here? And I want to make a declaration to you this morning that Elkanah was wrong to have two wives. This is an era in Israel's history where they took that Genesis passage to the letter. And there were decisions made between husbands and wives where if a wife was barren, he would go get another wife so that his lineage could be passed on. They took that go and fruit, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it to that degree. And so you will see over and over again in the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament, you don't see this in the New Testament, over and over again in the Old Testament, you will see a man with more than one wife. And I want to declare to you that it was wrong, nonetheless. It was a demonstration of a lack of faith in the sovereign God. And for whatever reasons, God tolerated it. We see it in Abraham and and, uh, Sarah, do we not? They together conspired to bring Hagar into the mix. Uh, We see it in Jacob, whose name is also Israel, who had Leah and had Rachel. 
We see this over and over again in the patriarchs of the Christian faith. And I just want to make a statement. This never worked out well for these couples. Never. Do you know what we got to this day from Hagar? We're still contending with the aftermath of the unfaithfulness of Abraham and Sarah with the Hagar episode. It never worked out well. It's never praised in the scriptures. And it always, always, always brought about great hardships in these families. It never worked out well. So let's just acknowledge this morning that Elkanah was a weak man on one aspect of faith, and that was his lineage. And he handled up on his own business and made it happen. And we're going to see evidence in this text that that didn't work out well for them. The next person that we meet is Hannah. She was a barren woman. She could not conceive children. She is one of Elkanah's two wives. We know that he only had two. Some men had many. She, this, this wife, Hannah, was one who resembled Sarah in that she couldn't be bearing children. But she also was like Sarah in that she was devoted to her husband. And she loved him and stayed with him and honored him. We'll talk more about Hannah because she is the meat of this sermon. Let's look next at Penina. Penina has children, plural. She has sons and daughters, verse 4 says. And she is called Hannah's rival. Why is she Hannah's rival? Because she provoked Hannah grievously to irritate her. I don't like this woman. Why would she provoke Hannah grievously to irritate her? I lift out of the text that it might be perhaps because Elkanah loved Hannah greatly. It says he gave her a double portion because he loved her. Perhaps, perhaps Penina was jealous of Hannah because Hannah had the love of Elkanah that Penina only wished she could have. And maybe she was just downright cocky because her womb is fruitful and she is multiplying and she is filling the earth because she has sons and daughters. So there's three people that we meet, Elkanah, Hannah, and Penina. But I want to introduce you to a fourth character in this text. His name is God. Twice we see that the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. It's right there at the end of verse 5 and it's right there at the end of verse 6. Hannah's barrenness is attributable to God and His sovereign hand. And his sovereign rule over every womb of every woman that was ever made. This is God's work. This is God's prevention. He closes wombs. He gives barren women children. He even gave a virgin a son. He is sovereign over the womb. And he sovereignly decrees, mother, now, not yet, and sometimes not ever. We've got to be comfortable with this because God said be fruitful and multiply. This is a call for women in general, but we don't take that to the degree that we say that every woman is to be that way because not every woman in the Old Testament was a mother. One of the greatest is Deborah, one of the judges. 
but it is more often than not. It's a high, high uh, majority of the time God does call women to be mothers. 1 Corinthians 7 said some are not even to marry. That's okay. But generally speaking, God created woman so that the world can be multiplied and dominion can be had. And so here we see that God has sovereignly closed her womb. Hannah is not defective. Hannah is not broken. Hannah is not lovely. She's not unworthy. God is sovereign for a purpose, for a season of time. So we've met Elkanah, we've met Hannah, we've met Penina, and yes, we've met God. And now I want us to zoom in on Hannah. And we're going to learn three specific things about Hannah and her situation that I think should encourage us this morning as mothers, mothers-to-be, and husbands, and children, and fathers. We need, we need to learn some things from this. And so we're going to pick up in verse 5. We're going to read a little bit of 5, and then we're going to go 7 through 9. And we're going to look at the first of three traits of godly motherhood that Hannah demonstrates for us. And the first one is that she loved her husband, and her husband loved her. One of the most important traits of godly motherhood is a sound marriage. 1 Samuel 1.5 But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. They came to make offering at Shiloh, and when they offer their animals, they then had a meal. And oftentimes the meal was doled out to the mothers, and then enough was given to them to feed their children. And guess what? Penina had a lot, and Hannah had a few. But Elkanah, it says, loved her to the extent that he gave her a double portion. It's a picture of a loving husband. He did not look at Hannah and say, yeah, I'm all about Penina because she's been fruitful for me. No, he loved this woman. He gave her a double portion. He was compassionate with her. And he understood her. And he wanted to communicate to her acceptance. And God inspired it to be said. He loved her. Verse 7. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. That is, Penina. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now, I'm sorry, but there are commentators that say that this was an insensitive husband here saying, look at me, you've got me, I'm as good as ten sons to you. Listen. That is Elkanah saying to his wife who is grieving, Sweetheart, you have all of me. You, Yes, you've not born children to our family, but I love you and you have me. I'm as good as ten sons to you because you have every single square millimeter of my heart and my affection and my Devotion in my shepherding. That's what he's saying. And whether our wives, men in this room, are barren or fruitful, we must learn from Elkanah 
that we need to be that way towards our wives. We need to be as good as ten sons to our wives. We need to shepherd them sacrificially. We need to affectionately show our love and our honor and our reverence for them. Now, Cana teaches us much here about that because many men in that day or this day would say, you're defective. You've not produced. I'm going to give my attention over here. This man goes against that. And he has a first love, and her name is Hannah. So Hannah knows that her husband loves her. There's no doubt. And year after year, she accompanies him to Shiloh. She does not take an approach to life that says, I'm broken, I'm defective, I'm unlovable, I'm unworthy. She doesn't give up on God who has closed her womb. Year after year after year, she goes with Elkanah and Penina. And she worships the Lord in Shiloh. She could not eat, this text says, because she was so grieved. But after her husband's words of affection and encouragement, she eats and she drinks and she rises. We've got a healthy marriage here. Let's overlook the two wives deal. That was broken, right? And not a marriage in this room is perfect, by the way. She stayed steadfastly with this man, even though grief was introduced into their family with this Penina character. So Elkanah says, you have all of me, dear Hannah. Be strengthened by this. And she is. And she rises. So let me just say to the moms now this morning, to be a godly mother, you must be a godly wife. You must be submitted to your man. You must love him. You must revere him. And the greatest thing that you can give your children today or your children to be is a strong and sound and devoted and loving relationship with your husband. And I'm going to tell you that at this point, we've got a husband and wife relationship that is healthy and prime to introduce children into. It's ready. And they have no idea what will come next. All right, second point. She loved her husband and her husband loved her. Now the second point. This woman, Hannah, loved God. Worshipped God. Was God-centered in spite of her circumstances. And perhaps she knew that it was God who closed her womb. And I think we will get a clue from the text in a moment that shows us that she attributes her barrenness to God. And yet she still goes after God. Let's read in 2 Samuel 1, starting in verse 10 now. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Can you imagine? Some in this room can not only imagine but can identify. Some in this room years ago could identify, but today can only imagine because they've been opened. And she vowed a vow. She prays. She says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son 
Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall touch his head. That's a Nazarite vow. He will be totally sequestered and devoted to the service of the Lord. He will not drink strong drink. He will not take on a wife of his own. He will be surrendered fully to the service of God in his kingdom all the days of his life. I will give my son away to you, God, if you give me him. That's amazing. Verse 19, they rose up early in the morning and they worshiped before the Lord. And then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Beautiful phrase. The Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. What a godly woman who in spite of all of her circumstances, life is not going as she planned. This is a God-fearing woman who wants to fulfill Genesis 1.27. She wants to fill the earth and she wants to subdue it with offspring. She might even be the one, because Christ has not come yet, she might even be the one to bear the promised one, the Christ that's going to crush the head of the serpent. Every Israelite woman wanted a son because that might be the one that solves humanity's sin problem. And she's barren. And she doesn't, at this point, have a chance to participate in this great commission that God gave women in Genesis. And it hurts. It hurts. She's deeply distressed. She weeps bitterly. And she's got Penina poking her all the while. And what does this woman do? She goes to Shiloh with her husband. And she worships the God of all hosts who is sovereign over the womb. And she makes a petition to him. This is your womb. I am your servant. How many times does she say, I am your servant in this prayer? Would you allow me, God, to serve you by having a son? Let's look at her purpose here. She wants to serve the Lord. She is not entitled to a son. I am a woman. Give me my son. I'm due him. Get it done, God. There's none of that in her. I'm your servant. I want a son because I want to give him back to you. This is for you, God. I want to be an instrument that you use to subdue the earth. She is not wanting a son so that she can feel just complete as a woman. She is kingdom-oriented and God-centered in her desire. She does not want a son to establish a name for herself. She's not looking for a trophy son, right? That she can parade around and say, this is my boy. No. This is not a selfish woman with a selfish request. This is a God-besoughten woman who is urgently desiring to be service in service of God. She wants to devote him to the Lord so that the Lord can accomplish his work around the world. I do believe she's got a part of her that's saying, I might bear the, the Messiah. 
I want to have that opportunity, Lord. We need a Messiah in this world. We need salvation. We need the serpent's head crushed, God. Can I have a son so that maybe he might be the one to do that for you and for us? Oh, man. The Lord was faithful to Hannah. He remembered her. They went back to Ramah. Elkanah knew her. And God remembered her prayer in Shiloh. And he answered her prayer because her prayer was within God's will. I want to be your servant, God. I want a son for you, God. And God says, I do too. Let's do this. And I want you to look at her response to getting what she prayed for. She didn't get it and then check off and say, whew, glad we solved that problem. Now I've got a life to go live. How many times do we do that? We so fervently want that job, fervently want deliverance from a health crisis. We get it, whew, back to normal. This woman did not forget the God who did not forget her. There is a reciprocal relationship here between this beautiful woman and our massive God. Because what does it say? She says, I will name him Samuel because that means asked for from God. I asked for this little boy from God, so that will be his name. And I want you to just sneak over right quick to 1 Samuel 2. The first two verses, this is a beautiful prayer that I would urge you to read after this sermon in light of the, the, the work that we've done here this morning. She says this, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. What a beautiful response to God answering a prayer for a son. So she's still God-centered. She didn't tuck that son like a football and run for a touchdown. No, she is stopping and exalting the Lord and praising Him for remembering her. So, mothers, godly motherhood begins... Yes, with you being devoted and steadfastly infatuated with the man God gave you. And then secondly, you must be devoted and certain in service of and infatuated, yes, with the God who is sovereign over your womb. Your children that will come through that womb need you solid with that God who gave you that child. If he so chooses. The greatest gift you can give your children is a strong relationship with Jesus Christ. And you must have that before you introduce children into your life. You cannot be a great mother and have a bad relationship with Jesus Christ. You can be a good mother from the world's standards, maybe. But from God's standards and God's expectations that are communicated in, in the creation account in Genesis, you cannot be a good mother and not have a good, strong relationship with Jesus Christ. So get that relationship right. And by the way, you get that one right, you will have a good relationship with the husband as well. This is the central issue in, in Hannah's life. Her God-centeredness is central to everything that we learn about her. 
Now let's look at the third thing about her. She loves her son. (laughs) It goes without saying, but I want to look at this starting in verse 21 of 1 Samuel 1. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. So here he goes again. But now we've got Samuel on the ground. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may, be a, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. <laughs> she is not backpedaling. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young, probably three years old. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. Eli was the priest. And she said, O my Lord, speaking to Eli, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him. To the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. She loved her son. She was given a son by God, and she had a responsibility from God with that son to wean him. Typical Israel weaning periods were two to three years back in those days. And so she did what mothers do. She weaned him and nurtured him and nourished him and grew him up in those critical years of life. And by the way, I've heard of statistics that says that 90% of a person's personality and character and everything is developed in those first three years when they bond to mom. And so she is faithfully tending to this son that she so dearly loves. And once she fulfills her motherly calling to wean him in love, in love, she brings him to Shiloh to give him back to the Lord. That is love, dear people. To take a three-year-old baby and say, you're going back to God. That is the greatest thing she could possibly do with Samuel. Because he will be in good shape serving the Lord even from three years old. So she loved God so much and she loved this little boy so much that she wanted them together as she vowed. And she made a vow to God and God answered and gave her a son. So she said God designs that this little boy be uniquely his. Like no other little boy in Israel at this time. And so what a loving mother we have. That would go and give him over to the Lord. Look at this phrase that she uses. This is strange language for us. She said, I, will, I am going to lend him to the Lord. What do we do with that? Uh, you don't need to think about a payday loan with a 20% interest rate. That's not what she's talking about here. What God gave her 
she is giving back to God. We, we, kind of, we kind of do this as well in tithing. All of it is God's, and yet we, we lend it back over to Him, a portion of it. We give it back to Him because it was His to begin with. And so we have something to do with this money that we give because we do want to deploy it for the kingdom's sake. And so we're, we're giving it back to God. It's, that's lending language. We're not charging interest and it's not due. And so she's giving back to God what God gave to her. And the, the Lent concept is we see evidence in her life that she didn't drop him off in Shiloh never to see him again. She didn't abandon him. And there is a beautiful verse in 1 Samuel chapter 2 to show that this mother is still engaged in raising this little boy. And so it's a partnership, her and God raising little Samuel. Look at 1 Samuel 2, starting in verse 18. We'll see that she retained a small share, a share in her heart of raising this little boy. 1 Samuel 2, 18, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. It's a little top that goes from shoulders to, to waist. Okay? He's wearing a little linen ephod. Verse 19. And his mother used to make for him a little robe. And take it to him each year. When she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Isn't that beautiful? This mom makes a little linen ephod. And don't you imagine that each year it's a little bit bigger because the little boy grew. And each year she's tending to the physical needs of her little boy and saying, I'm still in his life. I still have a responsibility. I have lent him to the Lord. And my role is simple. I want to encourage him with bigger clothes next year. <laughs> I, I think that's beautiful. This is a loving mother who loved his father, who loved his God, and who loved him and gave him back to God, but still had some engagement in his life. So this is what we learn from Hannah this morning. She was a barren woman. She was a godly woman. She was a faithful woman to her husband. She pleaded with God. She ached and groaned for a child. And God... Finally, in his sovereign time, blessed her and remembered her and gave her Samuel. He did this through her faith. Her loyalty, her submission to him. And her son Samuel, just look at who this man was. He was a priest. Nazarite vow, no razor to his head, no strong drink, didn't take a wife. He was a priest. He was the last of the judges during the Israel period where they were led by judges right before the kings. He ushers in the first king. It's Saul and it's not a good deal. And he doesn't want Saul. And God, God says, you listen to those people, Samuel, and do it. But then he gets to anoint David and launch the messianic line of Israel kingship that will ultimately end in the king of kings. That will ultimately end in the offspring born of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. Samuel got to anoint David, the father of that lineage, into the office of king of Israel. Samuel was a giant 
in the history of God and his people. He's a giant in our history. Yes, Israel's history and our history grafted in Israel's history. And this blessing far surpassed anything that Hannah could have ever prayed for. Don't you know if she understood, and I, we, don't have, we don't hear anything else from her for the rest of this book, but don't you know as she watched her son in action in Israel, she just worshipped God with unbridled fervor. So through the ages, we see pictures like this over and over and over again of women who are barren, who have longed to be mothers, but have not yet been granted children or have even maybe lost children along the way. This longing is right. This longing is grounded in the creation account. It's in your DNA, dear woman, to long for children. And I want you to turn your eyes off of your condition. I want you to turn your eyes to your God, like Hannah did. I want you to acknowledge that God opens wombs and closes wombs in seasons, in times, as He sees fit. And if you're here this morning and you have grieved because you cannot yet conceive, you are not alone. The Bible is full of women like you, and our culture today is full of women like you. Do not feel isolated. If you're a woman who has mourned at the loss of a child, we, we could go there this morning in the Scriptures as well. You're not alone. That didn't happen outside of God's sovereignty. We don't understand the loss, but God does. But you're not alone. There's others that have lost. There's still good work to be done in God's kingdom in spite of loss, in spite of, in spite of barrenness. Yeah, God is aware of all of these struggles. And God is a good God who is sovereignly ruling and reigning over these issues. So here's how I want us to end this morning. To, to be the church that God desires us to be. We are called to live life together. We're not called to live in isolation and I've got my baggage and my issues and I'm going to live over here and we'll dip into church on Sunday morning and then we'll fire out and we'll go live our own lives again lonely in this issue that we're contending with. No, God created the church. Jesus Christ died for the church so that we could be united and we are to be united in Christ and we are to be united in hardship and in prosperity. We are called to live together. In 2015, is the body of Christ. And so if you're a woman here this morning, and you are struggling with where you are in life as it relates to motherhood, during our time of response this morning as we sing, I, I invite you to come down and ask for someone to pray with you or to counsel with you. If you're a woman that cannot conceive, and you're struggling with this, would, would you come forward this morning and ask for us as a church body to pray over you and to ask this God that opens Hannah's womb to open yours, if it be His will? If you've lost a child, if you've suffered that and you're struggling with that, 
Would you come forward and let us pray for you on this Mother's Day so that through us, God might give you peace and comfort even for an afternoon and maybe might build on that for the rest of your days. If you're struggling as a mother with your relationship with Jesus Christ, would, would you come forward this morning and talk to me, one of our elders, one of the ladies in our church, about this? We would love to help you get to where Hannah was, fervently loving and worshiping God in the face of great hardship. So I invite you to come down during this time of response as we sing to the Lord and close our service. Let's pray. Father, we have come to understand from your word and your word alone that motherhood is a high calling. And Father, we come to understand also that motherhood is a gift from you. It is something that comes only from you. So I pray this morning that we would worship you as we close this service out, acknowledging this much. And I pray, Father, this morning that we could unite together closer as a family and praying for one another and lifting one another up as we together struggle through the travails that come with the desire to be a mother and the desire and the ability to fulfill the calling of being a godly mother. And I pray all this for your glory and for the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.